Hi, this is Mike Chen, and you're listening to the FSF Podcast. The show that made you just want to sit alone in a room without any other voices. You know, like, ever. Except for the ones that are in your head, right? Everybody those else has those. Those are always there. Do you speak English? Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt Crewman number 152. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and joins Obi-Wan and Anakin in their adventures of building a brotherhood, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope, because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back, and what's left of the high ground. All right, guys, our guest today is a New York Times bestselling author who has written in the worlds of both Star Wars and Star Trek, amongst amongst other nerdiverses. Uh, But he's also done some work for Fox Sports, doing some hockey reporting back in the day. And as a hockey fan, I can't wait to talk to him a little bit about that. Uh, You know, there's the Red Wings. Ta-da! Anyway, there you go. We are so happy. (laughs) Nice. Uh, we are so happy to welcome Mike Chen to the FSF podcast. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hello, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the hockey talk right now, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to think of what other hockey stuff I have nearby. I've got my comic book signed by Darren McCarty next to me. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, you know what? Let's tell you what, let's just jump right into the hockey talk because we're already talking, it, so we might as well. So, as you can see by what's on my wall, I am a uh a long time, a lifelong Detroit Red Wings fan. And I, when I was looking through your website, I got excited because I was like, I, I clicked on other writings and I, was, I saw this thing about uh, proof. Uh, you so wonderfully provided proof rather that you were a Fox sports writer at one point. And I was like, oh, he, he wrote about hockey. So I had to go find some of your hockey stuff. And so I was really excited to, to know about that. So my question here is, after all that uh, awesome uh, preemptive rambling I just did, was knowing that I'm a Red Wings fan, my favorite player has always been and will always be Darren McCarty. Um, I need to know, I think, because you already held it up, what's your team, <clears throat> San Jose, uh, and who's your favorite player? Oh, so you're <laughs> you're going to get mad at my favorite player. But so I actually, I grew up a Chicago Blackhawks fan. Okay. Um, so I was born in, um, I grew up in the eighties. I became, I started watching hockey like about two years before the sharks came into existence. And it was because they were on sports channel. Like the NHL was mm-hmm. on sports channel and I just found it. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, and I just, I dropped baseball completely. Like I, I was a really big, um, cause I grew up in the Bay area. I still live in the Bay area sure. and I was a really big San Francisco giants fan. Um, and then I just discovered hockey. Um, and then the first Sega Genesis NHL hockey came out. I think it was the season before the Sharks came into existence. So okay. well, I discovered it on cable TV. And then I started playing it on Sega Genesis. And I started collecting the upper deck cards. And then the Sharks came here. I stayed a Blackhawks fan because I like the Blackhawks. That was like peak Jeremy Roenick years. Um, oh, yeah. So I was a Blackhawks fan mostly because of Ronick, Chelios, and Belfour. Um, and then awesome trio. when the uh, but you know they they had like their pretty famous ownership issues where Bill Worth was just like I'm not going to sign anyone. I'm not going right. to put my team's games on TV. And it it was when they um when they let Tony Amani go that was like okay that's it I'm done with this team. I live <laughs> in the Bay Area. You know, the Sharks were my number two team. They have been elevated to my number one team, even though they were still horrible at that time. That was like right before Daryl Sutter took over the team and yeah, yeah. brought them back to respectability. So yeah, I, I was actually, this past year is like the first season that um, since 2001 that we finally canceled our season tickets. Um, and it's solely because I would go with my dad. My dad is pushing uh, in his late seventies now. Okay. And, and my wife has a medical condition, so I can't really go to mass events for like COVID purposes. Mm-hmm. So it's oh, like between sure, sure. my wife and my dad, I'm like, and you the fact that you can get tickets anywhere now, you know, it's right. like, yeah. So it's like the, the whole purpose of holding season tickets doesn't just really matter that much mm-hmm. anymore. Um, but I look forward to the world stabilizing so I can take my daughter. We actually play hockey, like we play ball hockey, uh, me and my okay. eight-year-old daughter. Um, 
and I miss playing hockey. I played every week for about, I think, 15 or 17 years, both ice and roller. Like the first thing I did when I got a job out of college and I had money was to, because uh, I played roller hockey since right. middle school, but I always wanted to play ice. And so mm-hmm. the first thing I did with my money was like buy ice gear and take like hockey lessons. The most important thing is learning to stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, it's pretty similar to roller hockey. Yeah. And like the weight of the puck is different, but right. yeah, I really, I miss playing. And so, oh, my favorite player of all time is not a San Jose Shark. It is a Colorado Avalanche. It is Peter Forsberg. I'm yeah, sure you hate him. Well, it was nice talking to Mike Chen, but we got to go. <laughs> it it uh, could have been worse. It could have been worse. I will say, okay, so in, in college, wow. I went to school at UC Davis. My, um, so my, I, my best friend um, is also a shark season ticket holder and everything. Like I grew up with him. I, we roomed together. We converted our other two roommates into gigantic hockey fans. Like <laughs> one of them was, he didn't really watch sports before hockey. And now he still plays every week. But the other one was a huge baseball guy. And he just kind of expanded into hockey. He became this gigantic Detroit Red Wings fan. He had like signed photos of Steve Eiserman on his wall. He had this framed like. photo. <laughs> he had this framed photo of the Darren McCarty like this over the turtling Claude Lemieux. And mm-hmm. it was like, <laughs> See, like so, I said, it could have been worse. He said Forsberg, so, not Lemieux. It's okay. That's right. <laughs> I did like their the the ESPN documentary on the two that came out like six months ago or something. That yeah, was, that was very cool. My McCarty book. Mm-hmm. I love the uh, the Blood Feud book too. That was a really oh, fun yeah. read. Signed by Darren. Oh, me. nice. Yeah, that was cool. That was uh, I got that as a. Uh, he came to my wife works at a, at a university here in Michigan, and he came as a, uh, you know during one of the hockey games to do a promotional event, and that was the first time. But we always because. Their school that she works for, uh, it's Division Three or Two rather in football and basketball, everything else, but it's Division One for hockey, mm. and uh, so that's that's kind of cool. So I mean, we always had big teams coming in, and we had uh, scouts there all the time. And I'd go sit down and talk with the scouts, and because it's a small arena, I mean, it's I think max seating is somewhere between twenty two fifty and twenty five hundred people. Mm-hmm. So, oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> They're both signed. I didn't by... even know about those. They are really cool. They're both signed by Darren as well as um the author of the comic. Are those by Mess Bucket? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, Mess Bucket comics. Those are cool. Um but uh yeah, so he came in to do a promotion of his book. And I had to laugh because my, my son and I were both very excited. My wife uh had this thing and you know, the, there's the red wings, you can't really see it very well behind me, but uh, there's a Red Wings charity softball game every year, and they have different baseball jerseys made every year for it. And I have one of them behind me, and that's what I had Darren sign as well. That's cool. And so he signed that, and that was part of my anniversary gift was to meet Darren McCarty and talk with him, which was cool because a couple years later, we got to interview Darren McCarty, and we've met him a couple different times. Uh, last time we saw him was uh, at Monroe Pop Fest here in Michigan, and he's like, "Hey, when am I coming back on your show?" I'm like. Tomorrow's fine. We could do tomorrow. 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 <laughs> That's awesome. We want to. But uh, yeah, so I mean, we've had like Chris Draper and Chris Chelios there, and uh, up at up at in Big Rapids, we've had you know a lot of different guys, and it's just been really cool. When Chelios was there, he was there to watch his sons play for Michigan State, um, so it was really hard to to root against his kids. But I was like, yeah, I'm like I like you, Mister Chelios. Your kids, they're kind of pissing me off right now uh these kids <laughs> were really good players though yeah these kids were really good so but anyway but yeah it is cool though in michigan because you have the red wings are such a i mean they have been such a solid team they've had some issues obviously um but then with red wings and then having grand rapids griffins in the ahl and they have all of like their they put their their seedling players there and they little plant their little seedling players and in Grand Rapids, it's kind of cool. You get this. <laughs> <laughs> Tim doesn't like hockey at all. Just a little bit. But Just I mean, we've got, there's how many? There's a lot of hockey teams other than just the colleges too, because there's Kalamazoo Wings are 
OHL? Oh, junior teams, right? Well, we have right. junior teams. Junior yeah. teams uh, in both Flint and Saginaw. Yeah, we got uh, Flint Firebirds and Saginaw Spirit, yeah, which are o both... Um, yeah, OHL. ECHL. OHL. Are you sure? Positive. Um, and then ECHL is... Kalamazoo is ECHL? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, been and, a long... And then... <laughs> and then there's Toledo Walleye, and you know, they're that which is also part of the Red Wings organization. And so it's really kind of cool, you know, you have all this hockey nearby us and, and all these things. So, yeah, so when I saw that you were a hockey fan, I'm like, well, we got to talk a little bit of hockey. And <laughs> I could the draft coming up and the Sharks with the number four pick. I mean, like, my my hockey buddies, like, we have an ongoing text thread, and it's basically just this argument for the past two weeks about do you who do you take number four and also like what can we get for eric carlson that's like all my phone is right now <laughs> that sounds like text messages between my son nolan and i because we'll message back and forth about the draft and everything and i have to say for the last three years in the draft we have been 100 percent wrong everybody that we thought we would take in the first round or the first yeah. two rounds rather Steve Eiserman has pulled a draft pick out of his out of his back pocket. And I don't think anybody has seen coming for the last couple of years, but they've all worked out. They've been wonderful mm -hmm. drafts. And so, yeah, uh, I trust in the Iser plan. So I got to just sit down and shut up. And so and say he clearly knows more than me. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what I try to remember that with with all of the I mean, even when when I was when I was covering the NHL, I kind of like prided myself on like taking a very like emotion free approach like like not in a not in like i don't care about the game um so i wrote for i covered the league in general for um for fox sports um i had like my own blog where i kind of expanded on the stuff that i would write about in fox sports or just use like kind of more of a sense of humor approach um i wrote for i managed the sb nation um general nhl site but i also mm -hmm. wrote for the uh the, their shark site for a while too um and so i i tried to like you know i would always really care especially when i was writing like the pro sharks stuff but i i tried to be like this is kind of like my approach to, this does tie, tie into writing too this is Perfect. my approach to um to to writing in like how i watch hockey is it's very analysis based and so when in the early 2000s, when analytics was really starting to ramp up in hockey, it was like, this is perfect for my math-based brain. Like, it totally fits. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying not to, like, and it always pissed me off because, like, I would always sit next to, like, the, the dudes who had the seats behind me were, like, the, you know, you know, your guy gets checked. And then they're like, punch the other guy in the face. I'm like, no, don't do not do that. That's a that's a penalty. <laughs> we don't mm -hmm. want to go on the penalty. You know, like, that sort of thing. But, like, I would kind of translate that sort of, like, almost dispassionate analytical way of watching hockey into the stuff that I wrote. And when I, when I write books, like my books are very character driven, but when I, the craft of processing them is very methodical and very like, I do say it's like almost numbers based because I think about like the pacing, the structure, I structure everything in advance. Um, I, I know like, I try to think about like the amount of word count that like a proper emotional beat is going to have versus like breaking down like an action scene and like trying to think of like how, how long or how short to stay with a character, like that sort of stuff. It is very analytical based and all kind of, my wife is like, Oh yeah, this is the person that I've married. You know, the one who's always thinking about numbers, and, <laughs> like putting solving problems and being constructive. It's like, whether I'm writing about hockey or like when I was playing in bands and like when I would write music, it, it's the same thing. And like, I, right now I'm teaching my daughter to play guitar and I'm like, it's all numbers. Um, you know, like the way that like you're structuring everything together is all numbers. So that's my diatribe. It's like podcast. talking to my husband. Oh my word. My husband does the same thing. Everything little, is numbers. I'm like, how? How do does you Does he have an engineering degree too? No. <laughs> no. But he is a forever GM in multiple tabletop RPGs. So mm. sort of. He also has a very <laughs> yeah. analytical mind who likes really to dive does. into he likes to dive into things and dissect it and you know, see how this affects that to affect that. And I love having him when he does come on camera because he doesn't do it all that often. But I do love it when he does come on camera because he's usually got some points he wants to make and they're usually very well thought out. And, you know, like, he's did, cool. you, 
did you recognize how this attacks, you know, attaches to this and how that affects that? And he can have really have some cool insights and in how something gets broken down. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's funny, though, it's just like anytime I have a problem and he'll start like dissecting into the numbers of it. And I'm like, oh, my word. Brain does <laughs> I not like him compute. already. <laughs> He's pretty great. He's but talking right. about your writing, we are recording this on June 23rd. But yesterday, June 22nd, yeah. you shared on your Instagram and Twitter that you're going to be working on a new Marvel what if novel that dives into mm -hmm. what would happen if Mark Spector, Moon Knight, hosted the Venom symbiote. So which I know, is so, so cool. It's so, oh, cool. so cool. So without I, giving anything away, violating any I, I, there's not much to give away because I've just started <laughs> writing it. So. Or violating any NDAs. You're right. What sort of inspiration are you drawing to build that story? Because Mark already having his own issues with dissociative identity disorder. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that adding Venom's voice into his mind is going to make things better. <laughs> so um, what I will say about the story right now. So Marvel, the, the Marvel editorial team um, approached me with that pitch of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what if, mark hosts venom um and some bigger details i think it, it's not a secret that it's the series will be interconnected in a way um yeah. so i got some very loose pieces like that but they've spent most of their editorial time on the first two books in the series so far so then they kind of left me with that and they're like tell us give us a pitch for how you want to approach this and i'm like mark steven jake conchu venom that's a lot of voices to put together in one person mm -hmm. for a narrative and like not a visual narrative, like the Moon Knight TV show, but like a prose narrative. Mm -hmm. So um, I think I, I think we're pretty happy with, with how, with the, I can't say too much. <laughs> oh, <I'm just laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, we don't want to push for details. We, we came up with something or I pitched something that I think works really well to give to give a proper narrative arc to, you know, and treating the different identities as characters on their mm -hmm. own. Um, awesome. And it was, I mean, it, when I, they sent me that pitch, like my, my reaction was like literally like reading it and saying out loud, holy shit. <laughs> I told that to my wife and she did the same thing. It's just, it's so, it's such an out there, but awesome idea. It's fantastic. Um, so I don't like we're really early on. It doesn't come out until like next October. I've like only written like 10% of it. Um, and I wrote I think uh, uh, an outline. Um, but what I can say right now, if you want to get ahead of like the the narrative influences of it, check out the 2016 Moon Knight series. Um, and then the 2018 Venom run. Um, and those are kind of like the tonal inspirations okay. for it. Okay, cool. Um, and then obviously the the um, Oscar Isaac series. Right. Oh man, that's gonna yeah, that's be just... so cool. I was telling someone uh, yesterday that like for research, I have literally Googled Oscar Isaac hair and just like looked at pictures of his hair and thinking <laughs> about how to describe it. That... It's, it's a hard job. It is. It is a hard job. That is... That is a very cool job, though, because uh, I think we on our side of the camera, we all had the same reaction. I think when when <laughs> we saw that announcement, we were like, I'm like, oh, that's going to be awesome. Oh, man. Yeah. There's there's so much fun that can be had with the what if on that, especially because Mark does have like 72 voices in his head already. And then you yeah. get one that's really off the chains like Venom. You know, and that's just going to. Oh, man, that could be so much fun. So, yeah. So yeah. we don't want to push the for logistics details, but that of... is really cool. Yeah, we had to figure out the logistics because it's like, you know, if it's uh, it's hard to tell a story when it's just like a bunch of arguments in some dude's head. So we had to right. come up with some creative solutions for it. But I think it works. The I think the 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 outline, I think, is really solid. Um, I just have to write it. <laughs> That's the challenge right now. Fair well, we enough. look forward to it because that does sound like so much fun. Yeah, we're excited for you, and we're excited to be able to get it in our hands. So. All right, so talking about other things that you have written and we can talk in depth about because they're published, they're out there. Yes. And there's, you know, less chance of violating NDAs. Uh, anyway, 
so having written in both the Star Wars and the Star Trek universes, I have to think that you have a level of fandom for both sides of the fence mm -hmm. in the Star Wars versus Star Trek debate. And although I'm not going to ask you what side you plant your flag on or if you do, I am curious as to what sparked your interest level in writing for both. And what do you enjoy writing about those universes in, you know, separately? Mm. Well, so I'll put it this way. I, I grew up a star Wars fan. Um, and so it's basically been in my blood my entire life. I mean, like there's photos of me at two years old with like a Tauntaun toy from like 1981, I guess it would be three then, but, um, like I remember one of my core early memories is being in Kmart in San Jose and being in the toy aisle and Han Solo's blaster and like the way the blaster sounds like it, I don't I don't know what the mechanism was inside the blaster like it made this weird wheezing noise it mm -hmm. was um it was like um I, I just remember playing with that in the toy aisle of Kmart at the time um and I would like make my own X-Wings out of Legos and stuff. So nice. it was like with the, when the Thrawn trilogy came out in the early nineties, um, not for the first book, but for the second book, I was able to drive and my buddy and I drove to Walden books and they had like a release party, which for at that their time was they rolled a TV in like eighties school style and put the original trilogy on their VHS player. Yeah. Um, there's no signing or anything like that. That's just all they did. Um, so yeah, Star Wars has always been in my life. Like with the prequels, like I was there, you know, opening night for, for all of them lined up all day. I miss that actually. I miss that kind of process mm -hmm. of it with Trek. Um, uh, my dad is, is a big original series fan. He didn't really like next gen, but he, he watched all of it. Um, and, and so like, I I wasn't really into it. Like I knew it because I I saw it all the time, and like I went to go see the movies in the theaters with him and everything. Um, I still don't really like the original series cast that much, except for Spock. I I like them in the movies. I like the the Kelvin universe. Um, you know, Kirk. Um, I love Strange New Worlds. Um, but it was like really next gen. Like when I finally gave that a chance, like it really, really spoke to me. I just like, I had to get to the point where I gave it a chance. Um, and that wasn't until I was probably in my late teens or so. Um, and then when I met my, my wife, so I, um, I actually watched deep space nine, um, when it was in syndication and then also like on sci-fi reruns. And then my wife, when I met her, she was a huge next gen fan uh, and voyager fan and so when we got together it was like you know this is before streaming so it was just like whenever it was on we would just like leave it on and mm -hmm. it became very like synthetic or not synthetic but it synthesized into our lives <laughs> as we as we came together um so it's just both of them are represent something very different i think in my life um kind of like how they represent different parts of you know um storytelling mm -hmm. so um I don't plant a flag on one side or another. I just, I love them equally. I, I kind of joke that like the Holy Trinity of um, science fiction, at least for us is like Dr. Who, Star Trek and Star Wars. 100%. I agree. Excellent Trinity. Like as I've got my Chekhov Funko, I've got my Star Wars Funkos. I've got my Dr. Who print. I agree. <laughs> like, stuff so oh <laughs> yeah i see your i see your tardis on yes, your my chair. TARDIS sweatshirt <laughs> it's my think, it's my sweatshirt it's just thrown over the back of my chair but, i think it's interesting though mike that you you mentioned that you know your affinity for different levels of star trek and i too uh grew up as a star wars only fan no no not only fans let's be clear here um uh, star wars I, only fans could be funny though you're not wrong. Uh, I think that could be highly <laughs> entertaining, but that's that's a whole that's a whole nother podcast. I'm sure there are some people who well, there's sure gotta be, I, I, there's, there's something for everybody out there, I'm sure. Uh, but what I meant is I was only watching Star Wars as a kid because I didn't like mm -hmm. the original uh, the original series. I didn't like the actors. I really only liked Spock and maybe Bones. Yeah. And past yeah. that, it was kind of like mm, you guys, especially Kirk, really got on my nerves. I like exactly. movie Kirk. Exactly. I like movie Kirk. I don't like webs. I don't like the original series Kirk movie. Kirk to me is a, a t it's a whole different tone, a whole different thing. 
and movie Kirk I like. Um, but I only recently got involved in the like the last two years into Star Trek, and it was because of Strange New Worlds. If it really hadn't been for Strange New Worlds, I wouldn't be I wouldn't have gone back and I tried pushing my I got through to a certain point in, in watching the original series and I was like, okay, have my I had my fill of Kirk. He's in every episode. I'm moving on and yes. I'm I'm into <laughs> I'm into next generation now and very much enjoying that and looking forward to watching enterprise and voyager and ds9 and you know all these things discovery all these other shows that i haven't watched yet so i i often try to lobby people to watch ds9 and i my my pitch is that it is the greatest tv show ever made like and the fact that it was made the story like the 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 serial story that it contains the fact that it was made for syndication in the 90s you know, and with a with a black lead is just mm-hmm. kind of a miracle in itself. Yeah. Um. And and like if when you get there, when you get to DS Nine, my strategy is there is a watch guide on. I think it's on Gizmodo. And it's it's to get to the serial arc of the story. I said like start with that because season one does start slow. It's like it's all Trek starts kind of poorly in season one. Um. So use the watch guide for the serial story. And then it, like, it really hits its stride around season three. And by the time you get there, so it, it condenses it down from like 24 to 26 seasons per or episodes per season to like each season, I think they have between like 10 or 15 episodes to watch. So it's kind of paced like modern TV. By the time you get to season three, you will love this crew. So then you have a choice about, do you want to go back and just enjoy you know, the other 30 or 40 episodes that you have not seen to get up to that point? Or do you want to continue with the serial story, finish that, and then when you're done and you're heartbroken that it's over, oh, wait, you've got like 75 bonus episodes for you to enjoy. And that I think it's like... Brilliant I, watch, but watch I through. think about, like, with modern series now, like, you know, you're contained to like 10 episodes per season, and then right. it's over, and you're like what do I do now? And this is almost like a backdoor strategy to kind of deal with that. Like, yeah. You can watch DS9, like the proper story. And then you have like DS9, the like the standalone shenanigans and you just get to enjoy it for another year on top of that. I might, I would actually do that. That sounds like a lot of fun to be able to watch the show in that order. And I like the idea of oh, like, oh, the story's done, but bonus content. Exactly. You know? It's yeah. like a DLC for a game. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I see. Yeah, I, I like might, that. I might have to do that watch through. I mean, I've seen DS9 more times than I can count, but I might have to try it with that watch through. That's actually yeah. how. Like, so when when the pandemic hit, and we were like, you know, what are we going to do? We can't, you know, go out, you know, during especially during like the first year. And so my wife, her Trek blind spot was always DS9. Like I had always said, like we should watch it sometime. I promise you will love it. Mm-hmm. My Trek blind spot was always Voyager. Like I had seen a handful of episodes of Voyager. Like I had seen Enterprise. We were watching Discovery at the time. I mean, like, but it was Voyager was just the one that I never got to. And so we did a swap. So we did Voyager first using that same thing where, where we did a watch guide to like of how they got through the Delta Quadrant. Mm-hmm. And then we just went back and started watching random episodes. And then we did DS9 that way too. And it was just, I mean, it kept us busy every night for like yeah. a year. And it was just a really lovely thing. And now it's like when we don't have a new episode or a movie or a game or something, we're just like, you know, we'll just put on a DS9 or a Voyager. Like just pick a random episode and That's have cool. fun with it. Yeah. So there's so this, a lot of Star Trek in my house. There is a lot of Star Trek, just in general. But yes. So I, I was actually going to ask you about why you thought that DS9 was the greatest TV show ever made. But I totally agree with what you said with the it being in the '90s and having a black lead. Like that was that was huge. And then I, going from DS9 to Voyager with now suddenly it's a female captain. Like mm-hmm. we take these were, things for granted now. We do. It was like I remember like more much more so like the Janeway controversy mm-hmm. where it was like just so many people who are like I don't know if I could take orders from a woman I'm like what <laughs> and, and yeah. like you know we just now it's it's you know just a given and I really love how like there's been like this resurgence not a pun intended for Star Trek resurgence which is an amazing game and a really great like 10 hour interactive experience I highly highly recommend it 
Um, but it's been great to see like there's a resurgence for like Janeway in pop culture, you know, through mm-hmm. Prodigy, and I think people just realizing that how awesome Kate Mulgrew is. Um, and, and so it's just, it's really nice to see these things kind of like come back around. I feel very, very much that way, like pivoting to Star Wars about Hayden Christensen. I am so glad that everyone is like, wait a minute, not only was he a good actor, he's a super nice guy and we should celebrate that. It's not yeah. his fault that the writing sucked. <laughs> That's I, on George know- Lucas. Yeah, I you know it, I I am a huge prequel defender, obviously, and but I always you know I will admit there are plenty of its of faults with it, and I I just wish, particularly with Attack of the Clones, I figure like that's that one is really like, like fifty percent of a really good movie and fifty percent of a like, this is a first draft, George. Can you please let me yeah. polish your script? <laughs> there were there are definitely some things in the prequels where it's the why did they let him write dialogue? Yeah, yeah, and like even when he admits that is like it's not his strength. I do remember like my facts, like the specifics of this could be wrong, but I believe there was someone who he had offered to write. Like he, I know he offered Spielberg to direct. I mm-hmm. think it's Bob Zemeckis that he offered to write, and both of them turned him down. And they're like, "This is your baby; you have to do this." Um, and, so you know, we so blame like, them. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. In some alternate <laughs> universe, I, I you know it's funny. I rewatched the Phantom Menace uh, about actually just this past weekend with my daughter, um, and she's eight, and she's watched it before. Like we introduced Star Wars to her when she was um, five, and so like I've seen it off and on. Um, but like really her sweet spot right now is the Mandalorian, like and mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. was Clone Wars, but we've moved on to to Rebels. Like Rebels is our family viewing right now, which is just a joy to actually have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I rewatched The Phantom Menace and I was like, this is an excellent kids fantasy movie. Like taking myself out of like my and I really enjoyed it when when it came out in in ninety-nine. I remember I was like really confused why people were 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 pissing on it and then like i think maybe after i got it on vhs then i was like oh i can see like the technical issues with some of like you know the the dialogue or whatever but i I, from the very beginning i found the world building of the phantom menace just really really fascinating i think that's where my Mm -hmm. love of the prequels really comes from um but then re-watching it um just with my daughter this past weekend and i was like this is a great fantasy movie. I'm like, yeah, Jar Jar's kind of annoying, but I think I've become so desensitized to him that I'm like, I'm a, I'm endearing. Like, I find him really endearing now. Same with Jake Lloyd's performance, and I just like the and then Qui Gon Jinn, who's basically became my favorite character. Like the instant I saw him, uh-huh. he's got such a like comforting father figure presence in yes. every one of his scenes, and like if you know, for you know, you can hate on every other element of the phantom menace and i you know tend to understand it i do not get anyone particularly from like late 90s early 2000s criticism where they said that that liam neeson gave a really boring performance and i'm like are you are you seeing the same character as me because no brings so much gravity to every single thing he says they were clearly watching a they were clearly watching a different movie yeah uh uh yeah Liam Neeson was not the issue uh, in yeah. anything in, in that movie. I've you see. So when I, that movie first came out, I hated it. I it was appalling to me, uh, mostly because of Jar Jar. Um, so you're a cranky old man. I am now. Yeah. You uh, are then. Eh, not really. Um, <laughs> shush. Anyway, uh, get off my lawn. Anyway, uh, but I've come around to it very much so, and I've actually very much enjoyed the Phantom Menace now. Because I also look at it through the um, he was supposed to be Darth Jar Jar lens, and that actually makes <laughs> this makes it a much better story for me. Because all the things that he does, all of the the clumsiness and the way that he gets himself in, involved in all these different things in the right place in the right time, it just makes me feel like that was actually supposed to be a thing. And George backed off of it because of the backlash. And whether that's true or not, I mean, there's always there's a million and one conspiracy theories out there, and. I would love to be able to sit, you know, like Ahmad Best down and, and ask him someday or, or, you know, or, you know, the man himself, you know, uh, you know, George, and just 
talk about it, but you know, uh, but that helped me. Now, if I could get somebody to recreate the attack of the clones, or at least edit it a little bit differently, cut that whole Naboo lakeside, I love you, no, I love you, no, I love you section out, and add in a, a longer uh, Battle of Geonosis mm -hmm. section, I think you have a solid movie. I So everything, I feel like everything with Obi Detective Obi-Wan is stellar. Like, do not touch any of it. I love all of that. I love the clone army. You know, I, I love um I love Dooku and Obi-Wan like talking like when, when Obi-Wan is captured. I uh, like to me like, like yeah, the editing is really kind of clunky in that movie. And I remember like I think Ben yeah. Burt edited it and it's like the only movie that he's ever edited. <laughs> you know, he's a sound guy. And I remember thinking, like when when I watched the back um, the documentary that came with it, I was like, "That's a very odd choice because this is not a simple, straightforward movie. This is a very very complex movie with multiple plot lines and Ma like many moving parts." Yeah. Yeah, and so like I remember thinking that that was really really odd. You know what I try to do as an author though, like because like if if I could if I could quantum leap back into George Lucas or someone working at Lucasfilm circa like. I guess it would be making it about 2000 for 2002 release. Um, I would love to quantum leap into like his primary assistant and just like script doctor, like half the, half the scenes in that. Um, <laughs> but what I did try to do when I was writing brotherhood was try to put myself in like the reality of the moment and like just treating it as like, okay, this is a real event that happened. Like attack of the clones is like a historical uh, like documentary. So, Anakin and Padme did say these things to each other. So let me get in their heads and then figure out like, why would Anakin say that? Like, what was his intention? And and, and so I, I addressed it directly in Brotherhood as like, you know, he thinks back on it as like kind of being embarrassed by how, you know, uncool he was, but he just blurted out the first thing that came to his mind and, you know, treating it like in the, the sand thing, I think the sand thing, I, as a parent, as someone who's hated sand his entire life, I can really, really <laughs> empathize with that, but so much more so now as a parent. But I tried to lean into the idea that, like, what does that line actually represent? And you have a slave boy who grew up on a desert world, and this horrible substance is everywhere, ruining mm -hmm. everything. And then you have you know, this person who grows up in like politics and royalty and wealth, everything on her planet is green and immaculate. So that line, I don't like sand, is Anakin basically saying like, I don't like where I came from. I want to be like you. I wish my life was like yours. I want you and your life. So yeah. taking that and then building that into Anakin's thoughts, because I, I don't, I mean, I've read a lot of Star Wars books, but I don't think I've read all of them. Uh, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and I know that it's generally not like the, the tight point of view that I use in each chapter where I stick only with one character in their head, all their thoughts, all their feelings. That's not typically used. There's a little bit more distance, a little bit more roaming around. Um, but I wanted to take advantage of that. And basically, I want the reader to empathize and just really care about Anakin Skywalker when they finish my book. And so part of that was to take these really clunky moments from Attack of the Clones and ground them in the reality of, of those, like, and thinking about what is the intention behind saying something? What is the context behind those thoughts? What drove him to feel that way? And then present it in a way that is a little bit more palatable for the reader. <laughs> I, I will say, Having lived in Anakin Skywalker's head for a year, um, I love Attack of the Clones now. Like on a technical perspective, I still think some of the editing is choppy, and mm -hmm. I question like some of the just the way some of it was cut together. But sure. uh, I like Anakin and Padme. I, I have so much empathy for them as people now. Uh, part of it is also the building and work that um, Queen's Hope and and mm -hmm. E.K. Johnson's trilogy did, um, and obviously Clone Wars. Like I. Even before I became a Star Wars author, I would defend the, the prequels to my friends. And I would say, like, after seeing Clone Wars, I, you know, I, I can't separate that. And they, their argument would be like, well, you shouldn't need a seven season TV show to make your trilogy movie better. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But also, I can't undo it. 
you know? Right. So it's like, to me, it's the synthesis of, of, of just like this massive story. And so I think Anakin is extremely compelling. He's so complex. He's put in a no-win situation basically his entire life. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So I, I have so much empathy for him. And the other thing is like, I have always been Hayden Christensen's like a defender of his performance because what I, I feel like everyone always kind of zeroed in on like, you know, the monotone speak that he would have with Obi-Wan. And I'd be like, no, wait, watch, watch what he does. Like when he's around Padme in attack of the clones, he's much looser. You know, Mm -hmm. when they're on that field together, like Hayden sounds like a normal person. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have that flat demeanor. And I'm like, this is a conscious choice about, you know, submitting to the rules versus I am finally allowed to be who I am. And when you put someone with that much pressure, of course, they're going to snap, especially if they grew up a slave and we're not allowed mm-hmm. to talk about their feelings and their mom was murdered in front of them. And yeah. I feel like that is something that is so frequently missed by Star Wars fans is the actual reason that Anakin did what he did. The the downfall mm-hmm. of Anakin, the rise of Vader, why that split happened, why that... I mean, it's, it's all trauma-based. When you look at it from yeah, a mental exactly. health standpoint... But that's why you need the Clone Wars right there, because the it Clone is. Wars helps shows that that gradual descent to becoming mm-hmm. Vader. You get to see that that mental breakdown, the emotional breakdown, the w- tremendous weight that was placed on Anakin Skywalker's yeah. shoulders for a very young man with a with a troubled background. That was. It's I, exactly I why Clone Wars shouldn't be referred to as a kids' show. Exactly. <laughs> I you know I, I go back to like the arguments that I would have with my friends who, and they've actually, they've come around on it, but you know, when they would say like, you know, I don't get Anakin's descent. And I'm like, well, think about it this way. You grew up in like terrible environment. They take away you away from your mom. They tell you, you can't talk about your feelings, just basically shut up and learn. And then you have your cool uncle who says, you can always talk to me but it turns out he's the most evil person in the world and he's like saying trust me trust me trust me while the people you're supposed to trust are saying like just let's just not talk about it also you are the chosen one who will save all of us and also we don't care if your wife dies no pressure though yeah it's like when you put him in that circumstances it's just like he's pulled apart in Mm -hmm. in every possible direction and he just needs like one little nudge in the right direction uh to I often get asked, like, do if Qui-Gon lived, do I think that um, Anakin wouldn't have turned? And my answer to that is, I don't think Qui-Gon would have lived. I think Palpatine would have found a way to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, be- because, like, you know, whether before the Clone Wars or during the Clone Wars, but, like, a way to take, like, the only person who shows proper empathy to Anakin, like, Palpatine would eliminate him as soon mm-hmm. as possible. Yeah, no, I agree with you. He would, he would not have made it uh, to a certain age, you know, to, yeah. to be able to watch him to grow because he needed to remove that father figure from, from Anakin's life. He that had to be gone. Yeah. And even though, uh, you know, even though Obi says, you know, you were my brother, Anakin, there was definitely a line there where it was master apprentice. Even though there was, uh, there was some camaraderie. There was definite love between the two, but it wasn't. It wasn't a true brotherly love, you know, it was, uh, you know, I love you as my apprentice. <laughs> and there's a big difference there when you say those things. And you know? I feel too that the Obi-Wan's love for Anakin was, so much of it was just out of duty with the, I promised Qui-Gon I would do this. I can't, I can't let Qui-Gon down. Because even in the Obi-Wan series, he's still looking for Qui-Gon's approval. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, yeah. I, I think it's like, because of Obi-Wan being, you know, indoctrinated into the order for, for, you know, since he was born, mm-hmm. the, the level of like familial love or, you know, partner love or even friendship love that like, that we all understand, like, there's just a certain capacity that like a lifelong Jedi would not be able to understand except for, right, you know, your occasional, like your Qui-Gon's or your Quinlan bosses or whoever. Mm, agreed yeah that i don't think that was part of who and what he was because it's just not something that was part of the jedi order so he no, wouldn't have I, seen I it i feel like so many people who criticize the prequel trilogy specifically but star wars in general really need to look at it with that sort of looking at the faults of the jedi 
not of the individual characters, not of the writing and the the producing of the movies, but look at the faults of the Jedi. Look at what they've done. The system. How, how the Jedi yeah. destroyed Anakin. Mm-hmm. The the I don't know. Like No, the Jedi were supposed to be the good light when you look at oh, it. Oh yeah. Way. Well, they were supposed to be the good guys, but at the same time, they were also destroying the base of their community at the same time right, while they were doing right. it. They're supposed yeah. to be the good guys, but they're also the ones who go and kidnap children and take them from their parents and indoctrinate them from a young age with the, this is the only way that you're allowed to live, but you're not allowed to have connections with people. You're not allowed to have families, right. love, and, but you have Removing to Removing that cold. base, that base empathy and that base emotion from people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there was, was there's this, a lot. Uh, there, there was this... Um, I don't remember what prompted it, but like some very angry people on Twitter were yelling at me because they said that like I had insulted the Jedi Order, and I was thinking like this is a very odd thing because like George Lucas himself <laughs> made three movies and seven t- seasons of TV saying that like you know this is clearly not a perfect institution, and I remember like reading some of the comments in there and I realized that a lot of people don't separate the institution from the faith. Mm-hmm. And, and right. because because they they keep them locked together, they find it difficult to criticize. Like this institution is failing, even if like the core belief system, you know, is still you know the right path. Right. Um, and, and I think like, wow, this is just such an allegory for the real world right now. It really is. It really is. And if you look at yes, the faith is strong. Yes, the 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 core belief of this group is is right. But man is so flawed. Yeah, it, like the fact that like it just you know, it 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 gets to a point where it's just so blinded to their own mistakes because of complacency and mm-hmm. lack of self awareness and things like that. Um, I there was like someone asked me like why am I throwing so much shade on Mace Windu, and I'm like no I love Mace Windu but I'm like you know he's powerful but he's also not very self-aware none of like the head jedi are and that's like that's not throwing shade on yoda or throwing shade on mace windu it's like you know this whole hierarchy like you know they explicitly say it in attack of the clones and revenge of the sith like they are constantly talking about like well should we tell anyone that we're not quite as insightful as we thought we were so it's just it's interesting i think like becoming a, a a creative in this franchise and seeing how so many people like they take things kind of out of context from what is presented in like i guess the bible of the, of the religion <laughs> you know the, the the films themselves yeah um but i think like it's interesting how like you can probably like tie a lot of lines to like you know everyone's own you know, like the insecurities that they bring to themselves and then how they interpret those types of things. And you can see like, you know, my, the, the, I guess like my wife would probably joke, like the best and worst thing about me is my analytical mind. And you could see how I am like totally breaking down like the, these relationships and systems Mm -hmm. in Star Wars. And of course there's probably someone who's just like, just watch the movie and enjoy it. Like, don't think about it this much. So. Yeah, but that for me, that's actually part of the enjoyment is being able to see those things and and how they work and how, how they, it's a reflection of our world and and that's and I think that that's what a good sci-fi should do. Whether it's you know, and I know that I, you know, admittedly, Star Wars is more space fantasy than than science fiction, and I'm okay with that. But I still think at times, at a certain level, Star Wars makes you you know look back at what's going on in our own world and everything else. And that's one of the things I've actually grown to love about Star Trek. Is that being a good science fiction property, like so? For instance, uh, I didn't get to watch it yesterday, but I sat down this morning and watched the new episode of Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. It was oh, released yeah, on that was, Paramount. Oh yeah, that was amazing. It's fantastic, and I, I tell you what, at the end of that episode, yeah, I'm thinking back, looking at, at the world that we live in, and and how people interact with one another, and looking at it through that perspective. And I think that if you have a a good, a well written science fiction property. It does that. It makes you be reflective on on the things that are that are in your life now and the mm-hmm. things of that you're hopeful for for the future. And that's what Star Trek is. It's hopeful. That's that's what we're hoping to be, you know, in yeah. the future. Yeah. So I don't know. Right. I feel like definitely when you look deeper into things like that and you realize that when you remember that these characters are people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah, really one of my goals with 
with writing Brotherhood was to like humanize Anakin mm-hmm. as much as possible, particularly for people who didn't watch Clone Wars. Right. Um, oh, sure. But but to take like you know the reality of like what is happening during attack of the clones because a lot of terrible things happen to anakin really really fast yeah mm-hmm. um, and it's not like he had the support system to deal with it uh, oh, no. so i i really wanted to like put that complexity front and center by placing you in his head and like have you feel like the the battle of emotions that he is constantly feeling and the answer to them uh, to those that battle of emotions from the Jedi is always squash those emotions down, which is never a good thing. Everyone should go to therapy. Right. I I love therapy. It's been like it's the best part of my week. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to have all of That'd that. Be wonderful. You need to know Anakin. You need to mm-hmm. to love Anakin, to appreciate Anakin, to fear Vader that much more. That's part yeah. of his purpose. Is he's as terrifying as he is because he was this character you used to love. I think too. Like, uh, you know, even as much as I, you know, watched and rewatched Clone Wars and the prequels and stuff, I always felt like there was a tiny, like a little disconnect between Anakin and Vader. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the greatest gift of the Kenobi series was like it unified that so oh, yeah. well for me. And so when, like, I know, like, you know, in Rebels, you have that moment with Ahsoka and, and Vader with the helmet. But I feel like, you know, that like that's a companion piece now to to what obi-wan does in the finale of mm-hmm. of uh of the the series and the the way that you know hayden delivers that like you know i am not your failure and i think back to like what is anakin's whole thing is he cares so much he you know basically implodes mm-hmm. and even in that moment he Anakin returns for just a fraction of a second to say, like, Obi-Wan, I care about you. I'm going to destroy what little remains of myself to alleviate you of this burden. Yeah, and you didn't I, kill Anakin Skywalker, I mm-hmm. The yeah. So the, like, I think about that scene, like, every day. <laughs> oh, and I know there was not a single dry eye in my house when we watched that. And when they announced the Obi-Wan series, I'm like, oh, we get to see full-strength Vader we get to see why Vader is as terrifying as he is. Yeah. Because his timeline has been so backward because mm-hmm. of the way that the movies were released. There's so much, there's so much between episode three and episode four. Yeah. Of Vader coming to power that we need to see. We need to know why he's as terrifying as he is in episode four and why he's the big bad that we all know and love so much. <laughs> I, I'll, take I think a, it's I'll take a Vader standalone movie. Oh my gosh. I think it's interesting that um, I know some people weren't happy with the fact that we are humanizing Vader and they're like, he's no longer a badass. I'm like, no, he's a terribly complex badass now. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's great that you get the Rogue One scene, which, you know, I love. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing, but it's like without, I think it has so much more weight the more you fill into that. But, and I think like as amazing and badass as it is the greatest gift of all of this you know post original trilogy material is rewatching like return of the jedi mm-hmm. and you know the hallway scene with luke and vader talking has so much weight to it now and it's like you know yes it's all retconned in it's all backfilled in but it i don't care it's no. still like the best and watching yeah when when we showed my daughter star wars so we did kind of like a, a machete order where we did four five one two some clone wars like about i think like five episodes of clone wars in the movies three which just completely destroyed her (laughs) and then going back to six like you could see like her reaction to vader was so much different when she first watched return of the jedi because she knew anakin and Mm -hmm. i think there's there's a lot of value in that and getting that sort of character growth yeah um but yeah, I, I could talk about Anakin Skywalker for like 10 hours. So. Last thing about Same. Anakin, because I love him. Mm-hmm. I Anakin and Vader are, I mean, they will always hold a special place in my heart. Darth Vader is one of the scariest creatures, people, villains that has ever existed. The, um, did you play the Vader Immortal VR game? No. Yes. So, so I, <laughs> I know, like, I have seen Darth Vader, you know, my entire life, right? Right. 
the first time he comes into the scene and like he comes towards you and they angle him like just above you and you look up and he's just breathing and there's a stormtrooper with a gun to your head i'm like this is one of the most terrifying things i've ever experienced in a video game mm-hmm. even though i can imagine this is like you know these are the characters like i i have a plushy you know stormtrooper in the other room like i have a plushy vader in my daughter's plushy bin like you know, these are not like things that I should be terrified of, but like that presentation of them is like, you are still really freaking scary. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And just but... one last point to add on to all of that conversation about Anakin. Oh. Um, Vader is scary because of all the backfilled information. The fact that you, you can't have a villain be scary if there's no reason to fear him, if you don't have knowledge of why he's scary and all those other things, people fear the Joker in DC because he's off the, he's off the charts crazy. And he does all these crazy things. People feared Thanos because Thanos had the ability and the drive to do the things that he said he was going to do. And he had killed all these people all, you know, to getting to that. So when he said he was going to do something, they knew it was going to happen. And I firmly believe that in order to have a villain, you have to give them a villainous background. And that's what the prequels did. That's what Clone Wars does. It, yeah. it, it, it fills in and infers that information to every, uh, everything else you watch in Star Wars. And I love, too, how much of Anakin's sass and love for dramatic effect they've added. Yes. Because Vader is a sassy villain. Yes. He has always like been. He's always been sassy. But even in the Rogue One scene, Mm-hmm. When you remember that the the lights on Vader's chest have to be on for him to be breathing. <laughs> he stops breathing to be scary. Yes. He shuts I, off his life support to sneak up on people. I in the Kenobi series, it's the scene with, with Reva where like he like breaks her lightsaber and just like kind of tosses it to her so you can find like that is such an Anakin Skywalker thing. Oh, to I know. Do. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And the way and that the he fact was like... that he like I'm pretty sure he uses the force to make his cape billow. Like <laughs> there's no other reason that your cape is billowing other than the fact that you want it to. Yeah. He yeah. would do that. <laughs> oh absolutely. For sure. For sure. All right, Mike, we could honestly I think we all could sit here and talk nerdy for hours upon hours. You just you're a lot of fun to talk to. So this has been fun for us, but we're at the point of the show where we finish it off with what we like to call our silly question. So you can answer this as serious or as silly as you would like. One of the things we've noticed by your social media is that you share lots of pictures of your adorable Corgi, Lola. Um, Now, my family, we also have a Corgi. Ours is named uh, Lady Von Strudel Toasterbutt, <laughs> or just Toast for short. Um, but does my question here is, does your corgi also have the judgy eyes, or is that just ours? Well, so unfortunately, Lola passed in about 2018. Um, she is featured Well, I feel like a jerk now. <laughs> That's okay. I talk about her all the time. Um, so uh, she... My wife and I have had four dogs together. Our most recent passed about six months ago. So we've had two greyhounds, a mini schnauzer, and Lola the corgi. And Lola was just like, some animals you just have, like, your bond is like on another level. And that's how I was with Lola. And so like between, so that's why there are giant space corgis on the floors of Cato Nemoidia in Star Wars Brotherhood and why Quark gets a corgi in the deep space nine comic series and my vampire book vampire weekend lola the corgi is louise the vampire's only companion um Love yes it. lola was very sassy <laughs> she would always do like these silently judging eyes and also like she was the most food driven animal i've ever met and her ability to like learn how to sneak stuff like we mm-hmm. have a, a we have a room with the cat food and we put a little gate in there. And so there's like, it's supposed to be a cat sized door, like at the bottom. And Lola, what she would do is like, she would wait for us to like, close the front door, like when we left, and then start the car and pull out. And then she would go up the stairs, shrink her body down somehow, and squeeze through the cat gate and then eat all the cat food. Like we had to start putting the cat food up. And so one time I came home. Like I forgot something, so I pulled out and I pulled back in, and then like I go in, and I ha- I took a photo of this to remember it because 
Lola is halfway up the stairs and she hears the door open and then she just looks at me. And then like, we just kind of look at each other for a little bit. And I'm like, I know what you're doing. And then she plops down on the stair, like, oh, I was just resting on the stairs. I wasn't actually. <laughs> Nothing. So yeah, that, that, yes, Lola was very sassy and very smart and I miss her dearly. Oh yeah. We love our, we love our Corgi. She, you know, if you don't get her what she wants right away, she'll kind of sit there, sit down and, and, you know, with her ears back and just kind of mm-hmm. glance up at you like the big bright eyes. She, oh yeah. Lola would do the thing like where, like if you didn't share her dinner, your dinner with her, she would come over and then like, just put her head in your lap, look straight up. The ears are up. The eyes are wide. And then she just sit there and just kind of like lick her chops constantly. Yeah. And then if you did not address her, then she kind of go like, oh, ow, ow. Like <laughs> kind of saying, what the hell? Oh, yeah. Dude, where's mine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else's dog do the the just barely audible whine? Oh, greyhounds actually are are like, I remember the first time, like my, when I met my wife, she had her our first greyhound and her mini schnauzer. And so I went over to her apartment for the first time and then I, I'm a big dog person, like my whole life. So I was like, these dogs are great. I'm going to marry this woman. Uh, but I remember like, like, I was like, what is that weird noise from the other room? And she's like, oh, that's my greyhound. Like they kind of like squeal like pigs when, when they're upset. And so it was like this. Oh my gosh. And I thought like, is that just your dog? And she's like, no, all greyhounds do that. And like, yes. when we got like, oh, so when that greyhound passed and then about five years later, we got another greyhound. And I like I hear that noise for the first. I'm like, oh, I miss that noise. <laughs> no, I have I have a pitbull chocolate lab mix, and she does this just like you can just barely hear the little. What? <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh! Like it, it just you can just just barely enough to hear register. It. I'm like, what do you want? <laughs> Oh, goodness. And the answer is usually that she wants to be here. Yeah. I need you to give me some space to breathe. Oh, goodness. Mike, we have enjoyed our conversation with you so much today. Where can our viewers and our listeners go to find out more about you and your work? Um, So I am most active on Twitter and whatever Twitter's eventual replacement will be. My handle is Mike Chen Writer. I have claimed that at every social media platform, but none have survived or worked well enough for me to actually leave Twitter yet. We'll see if Blue Sky holds up. Um, I'm also that on Instagram. I used to post a lot of photos of my Greyhound, but like I don't post that much like in general anymore because I don't know how to use Instagram other than for pet photos. Um, Fair. I have a website, MikeChenBooks.com. I really need to update it more. I have a Facebook page that was like Facebook slash Mike Chen writer. And like, I, I just gave up on updating it. Like their interface is too hard to use. Um, so that's where they can find me. Um, so yeah, mostly on, on Twitter. If you want to talk about deep space nine or Anakin Skywalker or send me pictures of your dogs, I will be very happy to, to chat with you. Awesome. Very well, cool. we will definitely link your socials. No matter what platform they end up being on. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys, we want to remind you that subscribing is the single most important thing you can do to help our show to continue to grow. Get guests like Mike Chen here to have these awesome conversations and funny moments for you guys to be able to listen to and laugh along with. So please subscribe. It helps us more than we can really say. And, you know, please feel free to check out Mike's work as well. And go check out our Patreon page. There's going to be some cool stuff on there that you're going to want to look at. Anyway, but that's that. But for whatever reason, if you are not happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge your complaint with the head of our complaint department. That is, of course, Miles Edward O'Brien. Miles is very systematic in getting everything off of his itinerary, so we have no doubt that he will process your issue quickly. And since he could make Federation, Bajoran, and sometimes even Romulan technology all cooperate, he should be able to figure out what's wrong with us, And having that diagnosis, find and implement a solution so that Kathleen and I can stop having technical difficulties on days that end with Y. If anybody could cure me, it would be Miles Edward O'Brien. If he's not currently being tortured, though, that's always the problem. He's captured and tortured a lot. Poor guy. Something to look forward to. All right. (laughs) Right. 
looks forward to it. He's the best. <laughs> I mean, as far as storylines, I don't look forward to anybody being tortured. Well, maybe Kirk, but that's a whole other tor- story. But <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, thank you again, Mike. Thanks again, Mike. This has been a thank lot of fun. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us for the FSF podcast. Goodbye. Copyright 2023 FSF podcast. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF podcast. The views expressed by the guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at FSF Original music by Jordan Michaels.